1 John 3, sentence 14 to 18. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of God. Well, uh, good morning. My name's Gav. Great to have you here. Um, we do love that you were here today. We do hope you enjoy your time here at City Light with us. Um, love hearing those sweet baritones of Dave Mackey. I'm going to get to sleep some tonight, fill my headphones, and just a sweet, soothing voice. Anyway, and a big welcome to our newest member, uh, Toby Ainsley is here, right, in the building, which is exciting. Uh, cool. There's so many kids here, Ted. It's so great. Um, uh, we do love that you are here, and we do uh, hope that you enjoy your time, as I said, and we, you see why we gather here each and every week. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that uh, God would show us more of why we do gather and show us the glory of his church. Let's talk to God together. Uh, God, we want to thank you so much for uh, this day, for this building, for being here this morning. I want to pray that as we open your word, that you would speak. We love that your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, and that your word is not just another book or another chapter to read, but it is you meeting with us. We love the promise that as we gather as your people, that you are here, that you are present by the power of your spirit. Father, and you reveal yourself in unique and different ways when we gather as your people. So today we want to ask, we'd expect you to work and to act and to speak to us and to address our hearts. We want to pray that today would not be just a talk that is, is fun or engaging, but it's actually we meet with our God. And so Lord, bless our time now. Use me as your servant and help us to understand the purpose for your church and the glory and the wonder of it and the blessing is to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm sure you're like me, sometimes we, uh, we get to this spot where we can lose the awe and the wonder of certain things in life when we have it, um, when we, we experience so, so much. You know, you almost forget uh, what it is or what it's for or what it does and its power. You know, just this week, uh, I'm sure you all know and you experience those big thunderstorms that happened yesterday and Friday afternoon. Um, uh, well, in my house, when a thunderstorm happens with my kids, they freak out. Uh, they get really scared, they hate the thunder and lightning, and so they run and they hide or they go into their beds or whatever they need to do to get away from this thunder and lightning. And normally what happens is I'm like, oh, look, it's fine, guys, look, it's not scary, Don't, it's not, not that not, not, um, uh, worrying, it can't hurt you, these storms uh, won't get you at all. And that's what I often say, and that's what happened on Friday afternoon, kids were scared, but there's nothing to be scared of. Anyway, on Friday afternoon... Um, I had a meeting to go out and see Tim from church, and uh, I was pouring down. I went and saw him. Then I drove home, and as I was driving down home down the street near my end of my street, I looked at the end of my street, and there were all these emergency vehicles, like fire engines, trucks, police rescue vans, ambulance. Um, everything you could think of was there, and there was, there was like five or six of them, and there were lights flashing everywhere. Immediately, I think, I've got to find out what's going on. So I go home, park my car, knock on the door, tell my kids, kids, let's go have a sticky beak. Put your gumboots on. We all run out down the street. 
not really sure what's happening, but come on, have a look, have a look. And uh, anyway, we go down there, and we go to the end of my street, and we see something's happening in our park. We live at, uh, just down here in Roselle at Eastern Park, uh, near Eastern Park, and Eastern Park's a nice big park with all these big trees. And we go down there, and we see all these emergency vehicles. There's no one's down there and, but all these emergency vehicles. And uh, we look, and one of the biggest trees, the biggest fig trees I've seen, it's like 30 meters tall, and the, 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 the trunk is like wider than this, and it has fallen over. But it hasn't fallen over from the roots. Probably about a two, three foot from the bottom of the roots, the tree has sort of been snapped and fallen over. And we're all like, whoa, you know, my kid's going crazy. We're going crazy. It's just a fun time, really. Um, and the tree's fallen down and smashed into a Mercedes, wrote Mercedes off, which I don't really mind. No, just joking. <laughs> okay, you know, if it, was an old, if it was an old toilet, I'm like, oh, poor guy's in the Mercedes. Yes. Anyway, um, but there's another car that I saw that I heard of was also, um, it took down power lines, this tree, and it, um, there was a, apparently some people in the car, the power lines came and dangled on the car, right? And they couldn't get out of the car until the power lines were turned off and I was trapped in the car. And so I'm looking at this tree and going, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I'm looking and thinking, there's roots still in the ground. Like, I wonder what's happened. As we've talked a little bit more, a, a lightning bolt has struck the tree and this blew the tree up. And it was incredible. Like, I'm like, that is amazing. And I'm a little scared of lightning again. So next time a storm comes... I'm going under the bed. Kids, out of the way. I'm in, right? And I forgot how powerful lightning... Imagine that hit you. Like I heard in the news that someone got struck by lightning. If we can do that to a tree, imagine what it can do to a human being when lightning hits you. It's power. It's might. And I think uh, I've forgotten how powerful it really is. You know, sometimes in life, we were all like that. We get used to things. We forget its power. We take them for granted. It's interesting being with kids that... uh, they never let you get away with lines of saying certain things. They always say, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? What is that? And so you can't have throwaway lines or phrases you use anymore because they'll always question you at what it is. And I think often as, as followers of Jesus, we do this. We have Christian catchphrases we use. We just toss them out there. We don't really often know what they mean or the reason behind them. You know, I think a big reason for us doing this series, this, this re-church idea is, what this word church... What does it mean? What does it actually mean? What is church? Do we go to church? Are we the church? Is church a building? Is it the people? Am I always at church? Can I be at church by myself? Do I need a church? Am I saved into the church? What's the purpose of the church? What's the role? So many questions around what church is, and we all use it in different ways, and it can be confusing. We have these phrases like, you know, we are the church, and be the church, and church is described as community, and church is family. What does that mean? What does that mean that church is family? And we can either hear that and go, oh, I don't like that, or I love that idea, or whatever. Yeah, church is family. Uh, we say it a lot here at City Light. It's one of our six core values we've put in our 2018 plan, church as family. That's how strongly we believe in it. But do you like that idea? Do you like the idea of church being family? And is it even a God thing, or is it just something that really, you know, Jess and I have come up with that's a bit catchy and pithy? You know, I'm a relational guy, I, I, I'm an extrovert, I love the idea of church being family and relationships, but is church being family just for the extroverts? And for those of who are introverts are going, oh, I hate that, I hate that, you know, I hate the idea of church being family, I just want to hide in my corner of my cave. Like, is that, what, is that what it is? And it's like pulling teeth for some of us, and for the rest of us, like, oh, I love church. You know, I'm sure that you know this, that we live now in a culture where, and there's so many articles on this, is that... So we, we live in a time where we are the most connected as a society. 
most connected. Phones, emails, social media, this goes on and on and on. We're most connected, but yet we are the most lonely ever. We're the most lonely ever. We lack genuine friends, uh, friends, not Facebook friends, but genuine relationships. We are more busy than ever, filling our lives with things, trying to make up for the sort of lack of relations we have. And I'm sure we feel it. I, I feel it. I feel it. So many of us are scared of social interaction. We get anxious about it. We worry about what others will think of us, how they'll treat us. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be let down or let others down, so we run and we hide. But the crazy thing is that God has made us for relationships. And so we seem to get stuck with this. So God's wired us. And I'm sure for some of us, we hear this idea of church being family and we've been hurt by the church or other church or we've been hurt by this church. We may have been a small group or been here on a Sunday and we don't really like that because people have hurt us here. So when we say church is family, what do we do with that? Can you see how it's confusing and it's messy? But really this series, I want to I try and show you what God says about his church and I'll try and show you his plan, his purposes and the blessing that it actually is for all of us and why he made it as a loving father. That's what I'm going to do this morning with you. So I'm going to walk through this with you. I want to start with, is church family? Is it family? How and why do we say that? Does the Bible even, even say that? When you come to the Bible, um, uh, God uses a lot of metaphors and images for church. When he speaks of church, he's a lot of metaphors, a lot of images to try and give us a picture of what church is and what its role is. You have metaphors like the, the, uh, the church is the, the, the branches on the vine, John 15, an olive tree, Romans 11, a field of crops, uh, 1 Corinthians 3. A building, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. It's a new temple, uh, 1 Peter 2. Uh, and it speaks of, uh, the 1 Peter 2 speaks of Jesus being the cornerstone and us, the church, are being built in to that one temple. And really this image is trying to give this oneness, that we are united, we are together, there's a unity in the church. That's what it's trying to speak of. Hebrews 3 speaks of God uh, building his house, the church is a house, and he is the builder. 1 Corinthians, uh, 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the church being the body. That idea, you know, where we're each given different gifts, but we are all one. No one is more important than the other. We have like different gifts to contribute, but no one can say, I don't need you, I don't need you. We are together, the body of Christ. We are one. There's a unity. The Bible never speaks of this idea of being an individual in the church. It is together. It's a unity. It's a oneness with Christ at the head, and we together are the body. It's a unity there. I love this, and I'm looking forward to saying this the whole church series. In Ephesians 3, 3, 14 to 18 or so, is a really cool idea that Paul runs with and shows biblically what the church is. You know, there's a, there's a, the unity is massive. It's the oneness. It's the body, the temple, God's house. But actually, this unity does more than just making us feel good. It actually has a bigger cosmic purpose. I'm not sure you've heard this before. Um, the church shows God's wisdom. It says in 3.14, God's wisdom and his glory to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You hear that and go, okay, cool, skip over that. But if you stop and think on that for a second, he's saying that the church unity shows God's wisdom, he says, to the rules and authorities in heavenly places. What is that? Well, the word rules and authorities is actually this idea of rulers and the Antichrist. And so, those who are aligned with the devil. So, Get this, you and I here gathering in this building as a picture of the bigger church 
we show God's wisdom to Satan and all those aligned with him in the cosmic realms. That's what the church is and does. Us being one, get this, is, an action, is a massive up yours to Satan. That's what he's saying. He's, God is saying, look what I can do. I can get a people and unite them on the blood of Jesus and bring them together, which you try and divide. And the church is showing that off to all of the heavenly realms and, ever, and, and, to, and to show God's wisdom and his power. That's what Ephesians 3 is saying. It's huge. This here has cosmic repercussions. So the church here is not just an event we attend on a Sunday for an hour. It has bigger implications. And I wonder if we have the same view that God does for his church. The Bible, as I said, also uses this language, this metaphor of family. Speaking of the church. A family united, a family that loves one another with Jesus leading it. Let me just show you so you know where I'm going here, Bible passages for you so you know exactly where it's coming from. I'll show you five, just five, it's more than this. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Using this family language, mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, right? The church. Ephesians 3, 14 says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from every family in heaven and on earth is named. We all have one heavenly Father from the one Father. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I'll be a father to you and you shall be what? My sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Then you have Matthew with Jesus speaking where his biological family come in and, and Jesus says, no, here's my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister and mother. We get this family language again and again. Hebrews 2.11 talks about, uh, being, uh, about Jesus, both the one who makes people holy, Jesus, and those who are made, made holy, us, are of the same family. This language of family is not that we've made up. It's a biblical idea of church and trying to describe what the church is to be together, a loving family. You get the picture, right? Family. What does that mean, though? What is, we, we all have different experiences of family, though. If I was to survey all of you, I'm sure we'd have different um, experiences of how family's been good, it's been hard, it's been great, it's been a blessing, it's been a curse sometimes. So what does it mean, for, what does it look like for church to be family? And I want to go to what Jez read for us from 1 John. This is uh, the Apostle John speaking, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, who wrote the Gospel of John. It says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, the world hates you. We know that, he, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. But, but this we know, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone, in the world, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or talk, or, but in deed and in truth. Last year I had um, my two little girls, um, Indy and Savvy P, the ghetto one, um, uh, both at preschool, um, and they were different classes, and uh, they celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day at the preschool. 
And so on Father's Day, you'd come in and they would have a Father's Day morning tea. And you would join in for the first two hours in their singing and their activities and they have the gifts for you and all that sort of stuff. And it was really a lot of fun. Anyway, um, I was walking around Sav's class and I saw that she'd made a, they made all the kids made posters. And it said uh, they had to draw their dad, she drew a picture of me, um, which was great. And, um, and then it said things like, my, dad la- my dad's favorite food is, my dad's age is, um, my dad's favorite color is, um, all this sort of stuff. And then it was, I love my dad because. And I was interested to see what Sav was going to say, right? What would Sav say? Who knows what Sav would say? Um, and so uh, I looked at Sav, and it said, uh, it said uh, to Sav, it said, I love my dad because he gives me flippies. Now, flippies in my house is where I pick Sav up and I'll flip her in the air like a backflip and she'll land on the bed, right? That's what we do together. And so Sav said, I love my dad because he gives me flippies. Now, I wonder what the teachers thought when they read that. I'm not sure they would have thought what flippies are in the house, but that's what they are. And the way that Sav knows that I love her, how I show my love apparently to her, is that I wrestle her and I flip her around. That's how she knows that I love her. That's my expression of love apparently to her. When you read that one John passage, right, which I'll get back up on the screen in a second, we read of the church being family and we have to love one another. What does that mean to love one another? What does that look like to love as family? I want to show you this again. Sentence 14 and 15 on the screen here. Look at this, right? I want you to look closely at what this is saying because it's pretty in-depth. He says here, We know we have passed from out of death into life. So we've gone from death to life. We're talking to followers of Jesus. Because we love the brothers. And hang on, we've, we, we know we pass from death to life because we love the brothers. That, that seems a little odd, right? Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in, in, abiding in him. What John has done is he's drawn this massive connection for us, this huge connection. If we love our brothers and sisters, our church family, What he's saying is, if you love them, you can reverse engineer it and show and see that you understand God's love. But if you don't love the church family, then maybe what he's saying is, no, you don't get God's love. See the connection he's doing here? It's a natural, it has to happen. If you understand God's love, his grace and his mercy, you will love, you will love horizontally your church family. John is saying you cannot know God's love and it, you, cannot know, you cannot know God's love and not love the church family. It's impossible. It's impossible what he's saying. Loving God, knowing his love for you, will be shown, uh, sorry, uh, is shown in him giving his one and only son to die on the cross to take away our sins. And knowing this fact will lead you, has to lead you to loving others. This is what John's saying here. This is what he's saying. He's saying, if you don't love others, your, your church family here specifically in this context, and the question is, do you really love God? This is really huge. This is, these are the big implications around being church family. The Bible doesn't play around with this. But I'm sure you can think of this and go, okay, yeah, cool, I, I love my church family. All right, I'm with you. Love my church family. Great. But you can't get away with that, right? Look at the sentence of 16 to 18. It says, by this we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Anyone has the world's, uh, has goods and doesn't, sees their brother in need and doesn't love them or doesn't give them or provide for them, how is God's love in them? Don't love with word, but love with deed. 
Again, he raised the bar, John, and says, look, here's Jesus. He gave his life. That's how you love. That's how you love. Love led Jesus to laying down his life for us at his own cost. He bore the penalty. He bore our sins when we were enemies. That's what it led him to do. He put the needs of others before his own. Laying down our lives, our wants, our needs, our desires, our time, our comforts, our pleasures for the sake of others is the way of Christ and is the way of the church family. This is what 1 John is saying here. And and again, he doesn't let you off the hook. He's saying um, if you have the ability to help someone and you say, sorry, haven't got time, a bit busy over here, the question he asks again is, is God's love in you? This is how high and how strong the Bible talks about loving one another as church, as family. That's heavy, right? But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if Jesus is our Lord, then we'll follow his way. His way is a way of servanthood. His way is a way of putting others' needs before his own. That's his way. If we are followers, we walk in his footsteps. We have his spirit, Jesus' spirit in us. And we are called to love, laying down our lives for each other. And throughout the Bible, God spells this out again and again and again. Did you know in the Bible, there are over 50 one another's in the Bible? There are so many. You know, like, honor one another, uh, love one another, repeat again and again. Bear with one another, forgive one another, serve one another, encourage one another, spur one another on, carry one another's burdens, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Over 50. So if you want to know how to love, go to those 50. Start doing those. And this is how we to love as a family, just as Jesus loves us. And God is calling his church to be the same. This is church in family, in action. And you could be sitting there going, well, okay, I don't, I, but I don't, I look at this church here and I think I don't really like these people. <laughs> there's weirdos here. Uh, there's people that I feel uncomfortable with. There's people that I wouldn't get on with. I don't have the same common interests with them. We have nothing to talk about. So how is it even possible? Or you may be looking around and, 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 and uh, you don't even really like the church. You'd rather do it on your own. Do I need the church? I want to say that you can't fulfill the Lord's commands to one another each other by yourself. You can't one another yourself, right? That's just weird. You can't do it. So you can't one another. You can't fulfill what God's calling you to be. Last week I said, whether we like it or not, we are family. And we need each other. And it's God's design. It's his purposes. It's not just not trying to pull you in here and saying, come on, be part of the church. It's God's design. He saved you into the church. And it's the greenhouse for you to grow and to mature and to spur one another on. That's the church for his glory and our good. You know, you can't love Jesus and hate his church. He calls his church the bride. His body. It's like saying to me, hey, Gav, I love you. You're amazing. I love what you do. You know, I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. It would be like, you know, that you, lo- I, you love me, but, you know, you come and say to him, but, but Katie, what are you thinking about her? Like, she's horrible. I can't stand her. I want nothing to do with her. I never want to see her again. If that was the case, I'd say, look, we're not, we're not friends. We're not talking. And I'd probably punch you in the mouth, right? That's what would happen. But that it doesn't make sense, right? And it's the same connection with Jesus and his church. It's his bride. You can't hate, love Jesus and hate his church. It doesn't work. Jesus says, you hate my church, you hate me. 
That's what he's saying. It doesn't make sense. You can't be a follower of Jesus and be a lone wolf. Yes, church is awkward. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's weird. But whose family isn't? Mine is. Whose family isn't messy and awkward? That's family, right? That's real family. If we were in a church where we were filled with all the people that we liked, who were all the same as us, that we got on easily with, that, we, that were easy to love, and we were just, oh, this is so easy. We have so much in common. That doesn't require much love, does it? It doesn't require much love. But you bring together people from different backgrounds, ages, social contents, uh, context, experiences, family backgrounds, and you get them to love one another, surely that's going to affect a greater love, a love shown in Christ, right? That's what that shows. As we love one another, that shows a relentless, unconditional, crazy love. Let me try, I want to try and pull this together now. I want to try and, so the, the framework, I want to try and pull this together. We are a church here uh, of roughly 180 people. Um, if we keep having babies, we'll be 200 soon, right? Um, of one, which I like. Great, keep having babies. Um, uh, of 180 people. But, but how, do, how do you love 180 people? How do you do that? Like a lot of us here don't even know who the 4 p.m. 4 p.m. people are. You go to 4 p.m. and say, are you new? We don't actually know who we are, right? So how do you do that? How do you love people? Well, love is costly. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes sacrifice. It takes bucket loads of grace and patience. So how do you do it? Well, firstly, we really need to remember We've got to go back to first principles and, and reflect on the cross. If you find it hard to love other people, we have to go back to how much we are loved and known and how far we are from Christ and that he lavishes love on us. You know, if you find loving someone at church hard, times it by a billion and that's how, much, that's, how God, that's how hard God found it loving you. Right? I love that parable of the unmerciful servant, that idea where... Um, the, the, the servant has shown so much grace and he's told, and then he can't even show a little bit of grace to someone else and the master kicks him out. It's the idea of we've been shown so much, we then are going to show it to others. So if we find it hard to love, we need to go back to first principles and see how much we are loved. But also, practically, it is impossible to know and to love deeply 180 people. And this is where missional communities and DNAs come into it. One of the reasons why we have missional communities is, is so we can focus on loving 12 people or so, a smaller family, a family of missionary servants. Does that mean we don't love this the church? No, but it gives you a chance to love 12 people on a more intimate, smaller basis, to focus in on them, to get to know 12 people or so. But even that, 12 people can be scary to know. So again, we've shrunk it even more to DNAs, right? Three to five people. And you can really focus in on loving those people walking beside them and being the church as Jesus calls you to be. And here's our hope for DNAs this year. And it's just starting to happen already. Now, I've, I've heard stories of people like you know, Dave Marlin and Bernard loving one another and Em and George and Kelsey loving one another and at 4 p.m. guys like James Beaver and Tim and Jamie who are really loving and growing together. That's happening. But we want to see each person, these DNAs, that would truly love one another and get this, take responsibility for one another's lives. That's what we're going for, stepping that up. That your DNA, you're pursuing one another you know, uh, and truly loving one another's family, bearing one another's burdens, knowing each other, sharing your lives, rejoicing with each other, mourning with one another, spurring one another on, taking responsibility. 
noticing when people in your DNAs aren't at church, aren't at small group, asking them why. How can I love you? How can I pray for you? Checking in and seeing if they're okay, knowing them, sharing your life with them. It's two two people. It's two people. Just imagine that all of us here took responsibility for two other people in the church, spurred them on. Not just saw them for an hour on a Sunday and then an hour on small groups, but actually shared your life together. Wouldn't that be amazing? Isn't that the picture of family? Jez came up with a really cool phrase recently. We're talking about this idea together in our office of Piccolo's, and we're talking, and um, he said, wouldn't it be cool if we were to have this phrase for DNAs, and the phrase would be, no one left behind. I love that idea, no one left behind. That we're all together spurring one another on as we see the day approaching, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. No one left behind, looking out for one another. Can you imagine a church like that being devoted as a family? You know, if, as I said, if you've been hurt or burnt by a church or a small group here at City Light, I want to say as lead pastor, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I hate this has happened to you. I hate that your experience of church has been hard and mission community groups has been hard. But I want to strongly encourage you to not give up. Yes, the church is full of messy people. Sinful people like me have the capacity to hurt you. But we need each other. We need you to help us to love, to grow, to encourage. You are, we are, as much part of the family as anybody else. There is no hierarchy in God's family. We need each other. And God has said to you, you need us flourish and to thrive. You need us. And if this is your honest, I ask you to pray that God would heal you, give you strength, to say no to the lies of Satan. Satan's going to be saying to you, you don't need church. You can do it yourself. They don't understand you. You should withdraw. Don't go into community. That is hard. You're going to hate it. Satan knows the best thing for you to be is in the church. The lies of Satan. I want to pray that you'd fall back in love with the family of God experience family centered around Jesus. You know, as I look at this picture of church and family, as I said, I really like it, I love it. Serving one another, caring for one another. It makes sense how God created. The cool thing is with God is that he didn't just make it so we just bunk it down here in church and, and cuddle together and then stay up in that scary, crazy world. He's also made church the way it is so that it would show who he is to our world. I want to show you one more passage really quickly, John 13, 34, 35, which you may know. It says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Jesus is saying this to the disciples. Just as I have loved you, you also have to love one another. And by this love, by how you love one another, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When the church loves one another, we truly love one another, like Jesus, what happens? The world sees it. Everybody sees it. How amazing is this? God's doing so many things with church, cosmic powers, um, getting cared for, being a family, but also showing the world who he is and what his love is like. Again, I want to show you how important church is and how there's a missional edge to church. And we all have a role to play. We can all show and demonstrate love as we come into this building on a Sunday, as we go to the park, as we go to the pub, as we come into your MCs. You know, the amazing thing is people can experience God by how we love one another. 
I think that's incredible. Like people can experience God and his love by how you love one another. You can say, people say, what is God like? Well, come to church and experience him. Have a look at this community in action, this family in action. This, is, this has so many implications, right? Can, I just want to say, just really briefly to finish up, turning up here on a Sunday is not just ticking a box or coming because you need to do it or you should, make, you know, instead of coming, you listen to a sermon. No, there's so much more going on than that. Church here is so you can model the cosmic powers, so you can love one another, so that people can experience God. That's why we come here. So turning up regularly to church is a big deal. And a small group is a big deal. It's hard to love anyone when you aren't there. You can't. I know life is busy. I know there's lots going on in our lives. But I want to ask you the question, where does church, these people here, rate in your priorities? What you do with your time shows where they rate, I think. Is it just another thing we do for an hour a week? Church is not that. Where does it sit for you? This is not just me trying to talk at you to get bums on the seats and numbers. I don't care about that. I care about us together. Where does it sit for you coming here on a Sunday and loving others? Church is vital in so many ways as family for so many of us in so many different areas of the world and cosmic powers and for us in so many ways. It shows, as I said, all things. Church is not an event you attend. It's a family who come together to celebrate Jesus. Can I say, if you love Jesus, make church a priority. Show that with your time. Be here. You know, back in the day when we first started this idea, we had this uh, first started seeing it. We had this idea, which I really loved, of, of Sunday being church day. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? Sunday being church day. You think, whoa, hang on. I've got things to do, Gav. Sunday being church day. I've been reading the Old Testament. I've been reading through the Sabbath idea. Have you read on that idea of the Sabbath? Where God is super serious about setting aside a day. Now, do we have to obey the Old Testament command like that? No, we don't. But they are good to think about. Set aside a day to be with God and his people. Do we do that? Do we do that? We get so busy with our lives. Sunday church, come, how often do you come to park at the pub? We don't, as I said it's all the time, we don't do the park and the pub or whatever we do. Right? I don't care what we do, hanging out, right? We don't do that because we love picnics or we love the pub. You may like picnics, great. But we don't do that because it's together. I think we see that for an hour a week, we are missing so much of what church is and can be. I want to push you on this, to think. And have a look at the scriptures of what Jesus is saying. He calls the church his bride. His bride. Like that idea of, you know when you see, I said it before, you know when you see a groom at the front, and I get to say all the time, I'm marrying people, it's really cool. But you know, you get to stand, and the doors open, and the bride is there, and she's glowing in her beautiful white dress, and, and, the, and the husband's there, and he's crying because of the beauty of his wife. That is how Jesus feels about the church. That's how he feels about the church. Even though it's messy and, and lets him down, that's how he thinks at the church. And I wonder, is our, is our opinion of the church the same as his or not? Is this something we can take or leave? Because it is bride. He loves it so much that he laid down his life for it when it was lost and wandering for you and I to bring us back and make us his own. I want to say, come and experience again the blessing that church is, church's family, and the gift of God that it is in our lives. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you so much.
for the gift of church. And for so many of us, we are confused about church. We are busy. We have so many things going on in our lives. And this may be a like, oh, what am I doing now sort of moment. We want to pray you just give people a peace. That you would just calm us down. And you would speak to our souls. Help us to, to, in your grace, in your power, in your spirit, to think through this idea of church. I want to thank you so much. The church is actually a picture of what we're doing forever in glory. Gathered around the throne of the Lamb, singing holy, holy, holy. This beautiful picture we get in Revelation 4 and 5. We get a glimpse of it now, God. I want to thank you so much for church. Help us see church as family. Help us to love. I want to pray for those who have been hurt or burnt are feeling, feeling just distant. Give them energy. Give them strength to step back into community to do the hard thing, to love and to be loved. We're going to pray for DNAs and thank you for those that are growing great. We're going to keep, keep, you keep growing them, but for those of us that are struggling, help us to keep committing to MCs and to DNAs. And for those of us who don't know you yet, I want to pray this, this idea of church would be something attractive. We would see you through this church. Oh Lord, thank you so much for all that you're doing. And thank you for Jesus, the one who made church possible. Amen.